scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our second scripture reading is also taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. I'll be beginning with verse 5. This is an encounter of Jesus with a centurion. Listen to God's word once again. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I am... I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go. And he goes. To another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed, and he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, In no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you, according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So how many of you might remember this old movie classic? Okay, it goes back a ways, doesn't it? Starred Charlton Heston. 
And I remember these old movies, uh, you know, they continued to be shown, shown in movie theaters years after they were made. I mean, this movie was made in 1959. I remember seeing it as a boy, you know, some 10, 12 years later in a movie theater. And that was when these, you know, these old movies that were three hours long used to have the intermission. And, uh, you know, after 15 minutes, they would blink the lights for you to go back to your seat. Now, for me, the climax of this movie was this. Anybody remember that? The chariot race, because here we see the hero Judah Ben-Hur racing his chariot along his one-time friend and now enemy, Masala. Judah's chariot had four white horses. Masala's uh, chariot had black horses. And while you can't see it in the photo, Masala is also wearing black. Judah is wearing colorful clothing. And his chariot is adorned with color as well. The message is clear. Judah is the good guy. Masala is the bad guy. And throughout this race, you know, Masala's behavior confirms this very, you know, status as a bad guy. When Judah's chariot, you know, rides up against Masala's, he begins to beat him with his horse's whip. In case you had any doubt, Masala's chariot wheel was equipped with spiked, razor-sharp blades to cut opponent's horses and chariot wheels. Now, you know what happens, right? Judah wins the race. Masala ends up getting thrown from his chariot and dies just a few hours later. We have in this movie, the good guy wins, the bad guy loses. This is the way it should be. Clearly defined, good guy and bad guy. The Roman centurion who approached Jesus was the epitome of the bad guy. Enemy. And while he did not wear black, the centurion, he didn't have to because everybody, just putting their eyes on him, knew who he was and what he represented. First of all, this Roman centurion was a foreigner. He wasn't part of the covenant people of God to whom God made his promise. He was a Roman soldier from a faraway land, and because he wore a uniform, there was no hiding who he was. So here is a a, a depiction of a Roman centurion in his full battle dress. And even, you have to be thinking, without his sword and his uh, shield and and helmet, uh, that he would definitely stand out among others. You know, also this Roman centurion, being a, a foreigner, he was a worshiper of other Gods, the pagan gods. He didn't worship the the God of the Israelite people who created the heavens and the earth, those things seen and, and unseen. He did not give credence to the one who brought God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. You know, that first and foremost commandment that was given to the Israelite people was, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, this guy had plenty of other gods that he worshipped because that was part of his pagan culture. And more than worshipping these other gods, he also, um, you know, held the the emperor in a kind of godlike status. And those Roman soldiers, when they would gather before war, they would they would say this phrase: Caesar, 
we who are about to die, we salute you. And that is what the emperor and worship to him was like. Now third, being a soldier, this centurion, he wore the uniform of an oppressor, not just a foreigner. You know, he was a member of the, of the Roman military machine, which took the land from the Israelite people. And so when you saw a Roman in uniform, it was a reminder of what the people of God had lost, a reminder of who was in charge. And while it was true that Rome allowed their subjects to practice their local customs as a people, you didn't dare buck their authority because the consequences were severe. The Roman punishment toward dissidents was quick, decisive, and deadly. Now, just to take it up another notch, this centurion was a high-ranking officer. A centurion was an officer who had authority over a hundred soldiers. You know, the same root word is for century, which means a hundred years. He was in command of, he was a, a Roman legion. There were 6,000 soldiers in a Roman legion. The legion was divided into 60 groups, each containing 100 men. And in command of each one of these groups was the centurion. They were the backbone of the Roman army, responsible for the discipline and direction of the troops under their command. And so this guy was used to telling people what to do and getting what he wanted. In fact, when this man approaches Jesus, he makes it clear, I am a man who is under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. So I found this image of a Roman centurion. And while I think it may be a bit exaggerated, I think we would agree that this guy would be in a position to get what he wants from you. You These aren't your average rank-and-file fighting force. They were the nation's finest. So this clearly defined enemy, this foreigner, this bad guy, a worshiper of pagan gods, he wants Jesus to heal his servant who's on the verge of death. He hears about Jesus, who is traveling in the region. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal. And think of the power that he has at his disposal to get what he wants from Jesus. The uniform, the sword, as well as the soldiers who are under his command. Frankly, the backing of the Roman government, who dominated the region. He could have brought a couple soldiers with him, saw Jesus and said, seize him take him to his house. Or with the authority vested in him, he could have said, hey, you are my subject, a Jewish subject. You're coming with me to my house. You're not able to leave until you heal my servant. That's not what happened, though. Despite all the power that this guy had to leverage, he approaches Jesus like this. He bows down before him. And he says, Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. My servant is lying at home, paralyzed, in terrible distress. He's calling Jesus as one who is above him. 
even though, legally speaking, he was above Jesus. Jesus, seeing this, assures him, I will come with you and I will heal your servant. Show him to me, I will lay my hands upon him. He will be made whole again. And then the centurion says this, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Yes, Jesus, I am a man of authority, with soldiers under me. When I say to one, go, that person goes. When I say, come, that soldier comes. But you are my authority. And I wonder, you know, I wish the Bible, you know, sometimes had pictures. And uh, what would be the expression on Jesus' face when he heard these words and this act of humility? But I think it is expressed adequately in the words that Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I have not found such faith among my own people, even my closest followers. And we are told that very hour the servant was healed. You know, faith means to acknowledge that you need a power greater than your own. Faith is trusting in that power, which is beyond oneself. And certainly this man had that kind of faith. He could have intimidated Jesus to get what he wanted. But he recognized Jesus for who he was. You know, Jesus, if you look back at the beginning of his ministry when he was tempted in the wilderness, one of the temptations he had was to use the power of God to win people over to his side, to coerce people into the kingdom of God. But Jesus said no, because the kingdom of God does not operate with the power of force. Here's this enemy demonstrating this very quality. So that brings me back to the movie, Ben-Hur. Back to that chariot race, the good guy driving the chariot with the white horses, the bad guy with the black horses, clearly identified and defined. Yet with this centurion, we see these identities and these definitions, how they become blurred. You know, we can't fit people into the categories that we often try to fit them into. You have to wonder if this centurion raised horses, what color would his horses be? You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Of all the commands that Jesus makes, I find this the most difficult, especially when you consider that an enemy is, by definition, one you do not love. An enemy is one who has harmed us or wishes us harm, one who is against us, not for us. Jesus said, you may have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, and let's be honest, an enemy is not necessarily that faceless person in the opposing army or a foreigner. It can be one close and well known to us. All you have to do is listen to people and the kind of words that they use 
when describing others that they are in conflict with. We may not use the word to describe those people, but our actions and our words describe it for us. And Jesus wants us to know that these people who we have placed in a category of enemy may not be so different from us after all. This specifically defined enemy soldier showed a greater faith than the chosen people of God, the ones who were supposed to be the heirs, the model of God's kingdom. Surely, Jesus, there is no room for this type of person in the kingdom. And Jesus points to this common enemy, and he says, what do you say then about this man? There's one thing that we all share in common with this enemy, this outsider, the foreigner, the oppressor, and that is our common need for a savior. And that centurion got it. And when he said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you step foot in my house or stand under my roof, he speaks for all of us who are unworthy of the love that Jesus offers to us. So if you have somebody in your life that you have labeled enemy because of whatever differences you may have with that person or because of the harm or hurt that person may have caused in your life, know that you at least have one thing in common. Both of you need the mercy found in Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, the centurion was no longer a man under authority, over a hundred soldiers. He was simply a sinner, unworthy of the grace that Jesus was willing to offer to him. Perhaps this serves as a reminder that however much a person might deserve to be called an enemy in your life, whatever damage that person has caused to you, Jesus still loves that person. He wants to extend his grace to that person, just as he wants to extend it to you or to me and the people that we love the most. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus could have rejected this centurion because of who he was. He could have said, you know, if you want me to do something for you, then then you need to take that uniform off. You need to become a Jew. You need to become one of us. He set no conditions. He said, I will go. And he affirmed this centurion for his faith and for his humility. Truly, not even in Israel have I found such faith. That's what this enemy can teach us. Amen and amen. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think, to him be the power and the glory now and forever. Amen and amen.